Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. So, there we are then. I told you it would be a waste of time. I told you there wasn't any need to go. I said it was a pointless exercise. If only the government listened to me, we could have all saved a bucket load of money on the world's most expensive fish supper. According to reports this morning, Boris Johnson and Ursula von der Leyen, uh, sorry, von der Leyen, as I say, uh, shared scallops, pumpkin soup and steamed turbot as they discussed how they couldn't agree on anything. Predictably, the papers this morning are full of red herring, scouse mackerel, uh, smoke kipper, South Mackerel, that should be, and people having had their chips. And so now, guess what? There's another deadline on Sunday. This morning, I'm delighted to say I'm joined in the studio by Baroness Buckley, a.k.a. Claire Fox, former MEP for the Brexit Party, now with the Reform UK. She's going to have plenty to say on all sorts of things, including the devastating lockdown and its effects on business, hospitality and the pub industry. If you've got questions for her, then please let us know. 0344 499 We'll also be talking to Robin Schoenhofer, former newsreader here at Talk Towers, who's now working in the NHS. She got the COVID vaccine yesterday. We'll find out how she's feeling. And we're joined by Helen Dale, lawyer, author and commentator, with her take on the week and her view on the state of things. And as the row over at Sky News continues to grow, we'll be checking in with media expert Mark Bukowski about the extraordinary development that Adam Bolton has now thrown Kay Burley right under the bus and called into question the credibility of Sky News. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's funny, isn't it? Uh, Plus, the Donna Harvey is reporting in from California with the latest on the election row and Hunter Biden's taxes. Plus, we're talking space as Elon Musk's latest mission ends in a fireball crash. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Welcome to Claire Fox, who is the first guest I think we've had in the studio for quite some time. Claire, very good morning to you. It's so exciting to be in a studio and be live. Isn't so it's it great just, to be on your show, of Isn't course. it? Listen, well, we've had you on the show, I think, only once before. Yeah. And we finally met uh, a few weeks ago, didn't we? And, and and we're both kind of astonished at the fact that it hadn't happened sooner. I'm <laughs> not know, quite sure I what know. was going on there. But listen, you're here. It's great to see you. Uh, you're now, of course, um, a member of the House of Lords. You'll be going there later on. Um I guess we should kick off with, with what happened last night, or what didn't happen last night, over in uh, uh, Fish Supperland, over in Brussels, where I knew nothing would happen, and, and sure enough, nothing did. No, nothing did, but it symbolically, sadly, um, indicates, if you want, that the UK really desperately wants a deal. And I think that the danger is that all the optics are going over to Brussels, asking for a deal. I don't know if you saw the first encounter between Boris Johnson and van der Leyen, 
but um, she basically told him that he was standing too close. He said social distancing, <laughs> right. and then he asked her, "Shall I put my mask on?" Right. And so on, and, and it just it's felt awkward, so humiliating yes. and difficult. Right. So I think that's one of my problems. I, I, I do need to correct something that you said, which was you said that I was in Reform UK, which I'm not. Oh, you're not. Um, okay. I, oh, I'm an I, I'm an independent. I'm interested in all these new parties springing up left, right, and centre because I do think, and this is the the, the link. I do think that as people watch what's happening both with COVID and Brexit, the mainstream parties do have a reputational problem, which is that people will be looking around for some new alternatives. Oh, they really do. Um, I I can stay independent because I'm in the House of Lords, I can do what I want. But I do understand that there's a desire for shaking things up because we're fed up. Well, there is. And I mean, as the Brexit Party shook things up, and I mean, I'm always amused by people who say, oh, well, Nigel Farage has never really won an election. Well, his name may not have won an election as an MP, but he's won elections uh, after elections in in the European Parliament. He's also happened to change the face of British politics by making us leave the European Union or making that possible. Um, And I I, I take it that I suppose everybody just assumes that if you were in the Brexit Party, you'll be in the Reform Party, but I guess that's... No, that isn't... I I think that that, that, you know, Brexit, well, and it's back to those talks last night. Brexit was an extraordinary one-off, wasn't it? Mm. That's the point about it. Yes. So somebody like me, he would probably never have been on a platform with Nigel Farage one way or another. But because Brexit mattered so much, because a democratic vote was being sold out, uh, lots of us said, well, we'll stand for this party for this one-off. Yes. I think it's different when you're setting up a long-term And it was a broad church party. of very different Very beliefs, broad church. It? And that was what Brexit was like. So yeah. one of the things I suppose that concerns me, I spent the last you know couple of days in the House of Lords debating the internal market bill and Michael Gove has come back and basically said, oh, it's all right, you know, we can drop part five, which was the contentious parts of the internal market bill without going into the boring technicalities mm. of it. That was the bit which everybody said was breaking international law. That was the bit which the government themselves said was necessary to make sure that a pretty shoddy withdrawal agreement did not allow via Northern Ireland um, the EU to carry on having jurisdiction right. and an assault on sovereignty. And the fact that Michael Gove come back and say, oh, I've sorted it all out because I've had a chat, yeah. is nerve-wracking. Some of us had gone on the line defending the government breaking this international law yes. on the basis that we wanted to honour the uh, promise to the electorate and mind honouring international rules so that domestic law could be made at home. Right. And then for them to come back, as I said yesterday in the House of Lords, it felt like being marched up the hill and marched back down again. So, but that is kind of the the the, 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 the sort of the main. I would say, characteristic, isn't it, of Boris Johnson's leadership? He seems to have absolutely no principles whatsoever. Um, he seems to have no care about just dumping something if it doesn't apparently fit with the narrative today, even though it did yesterday. And whatever he promises you, you just think, well, I don't believe that, because tomorrow you're going to say something else. Well, the thing that's really disconcerting is you want to say that because he was elected with this massive swing from Red Wall voters mm. in particular to get Brexit done and really to be the person who would go down historically as delivering Brexit, that even he, even now, could not possibly sell that out. But because we've sat through the COVID nine months, and the man who is associated vaguely with a bit of libertarianism, who's always said he was anti-nanny state, Mm. always said that all those public health measures were a nonsense, and we have just gone through the last nine months, I think we can all sit there and go... If I thought possibly that Boris Johnson might stick to his word to the British people and really not compromise with the EU on sovereignty mm. and democratic accountability, 
I don't feel like that confident it really, now. No, it really doesn't feel like that, does it? Because it does seem as though he's literally willing to do almost anything. Um, and I'm not even sure if it's to remain popular because I think that uh, ship has, has, has flown uh, or whatever ships do uh, <laughs> a long time ago, you know. And, and talking of, of, of lockdown, I mean, we were saying just before the show that there is this sort of sense that um, they're not quite there yet they still don't see what everybody else in the country seems to see which is that you know we should be doing something different we need to lift ourselves out of this economic gloom well i absolutely agree with you on this and i know that you've been very uh, you know outspoken but it's important that these questions are raised Mm. the thing that you can really get nervous about is when lots of excitement around vaccines emerges this week and i'm a great enthusiast for scientific medical breakthroughs like vaccinations when people say they've done it very quick i always say well that's because it usually takes them so long there's too many regulations usually in terms of making i mean we should be happy about that we should be excited about it but you are still allowed as a citizen to ask well is it safe or you know was it a bit quick or can i not take it and immediately there's been a clampdown in Mm. terms of free speech on that anti-vaxxers thrown at you etc etc but the worst bit is when you get somebody like witty saying well, of course we've got the vaccine, but I don't want anyone to imagine that things are going to go back to normal. Right. Because even though you might have the vaccine, we still want you to social distance. We still yeah. want you to be aware of the fact you need to wear masks all the time. Nothing will go... So then you think, actually, are you now saying that even even though I think you've gone the wrong way, on your own strategy, mm. it was let's get a vaccine, then we can go back to right. normal. Now we've got the vaccine, they and they're saying. saying we're not going to go back well, to normal. Well, that's what they were saying. They were telling us all that, you know, we won't be able to get back to normal until we get the vaccine. Now we get the vaccine. It doesn't stop you getting it. It doesn't stop you spreading it. And if you get uh, uh, told to self-isolate, you still have to. And so it's so, always better safe than never. Right. Uh, than sorry. Better safe than sorry. But in this such a precautionary way, and the balance of risks, and this has always been the argument you put forward, which is... COVID is one of the serious challenges this country and mm. the world faces. Yeah. But there are others. Of course. And uh, you Whitty always have to think that. Saying that he was nervous about the next three months. And I actually put, put a tweet out yesterday saying this is a bloke who'd be nervous if he found some frost on the front of his car. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is a bloke who's just nervous generally. You know, most of us are not like that. Most of us, uh, you know, have had children and worried about them. But it doesn't mean you don't let them out of your sight. You know, they go on school holidays. Sometimes terrible things happen. Sometimes uh, you have to grieve for, for loved ones who have died. For whatever reason, people have accidents, you know, people get terrible diseases. You can't stop all that and you can't suddenly pretend that we can legislate to stop it. But they've also been we've also been in this situation where this even even at the worst case scenario of what this virus has threatened. And I uh, think it's been overstated and it is a serious threat to the vulnerable, but it is less of a threat, certainly mortally to most people. But the the um, the. Even if you go along with that, and there's different views on how serious or not the, the, the pandemic is, the main thing is is that you have to then say, OK, we've got this serious virus. What can we do to live and mitigate against mm. people dying of it right. that does not destroy the lives of everybody and destroy and rip up society yes. for decades, generations but they won't say that. Because I always find it fascinating when I talk to people who ring in. We get a lot of people, you've probably heard them on here, hoteliers, pub owners, you know, people in the business of, of, of tourism who are just absolutely beside themselves. They don't know how long, much longer they can go on for. Some of them will never be able to succeed with their businesses. Some of them just will have to will collapse into, into, you know, destitution practically. Yeah, so the hospitality uh, industry has been particularly viciously 
uh, affected by mm. this because in a way I think even despite the fact that there's no evidence that the hospitality industry no. or you know that going to the pub is where it's spreading mm. I think we've gathered that you know it spreads in hospitals yes it's, it's you know and uh, you know old people's homes and care homes rather uh, where it where actually we've neglected them in many ways mm. uh, lots of children are passing it on to each other at schools that's not the end of the world by the way right. we're not setting a panic but that's one of the things that is the cause for example in london of of, inf- of infection rates apparently in the last week or so yeah. going up yeah but cases of course and infections are not the same as no. we know as, as as a serious threat but nonetheless that's it but it's not pubs but the the other thing about the pub trip people will constantly do this thing when you talk about hospitality they're like oh you just want to go and get drunk with your mates oh, it's ridiculous in the court you know we was facing this very serious thing there's a number of things one is part of being human part of a society is our capacity to mix and mingle mm. talk socialize that conviviality is what makes it part of being worth living yes. right and it's also where you chat you actually can challenge the anti-vaxxer in the room because you're having an argument. It's where you swap stories, where you actually are part of society, Mm. the public sphere. And they've closed down the public sphere. We're just not allowed to do it. But there's another side, which is we had this... uh, uh, debate in the House of Lords on on um, evictions and homelessness. So the government have expanded or extended the the length of time that you can't be evicted mm. until January. Right. You know that's great because the last thing you want is people to be homeless in the yeah. midst of this. But there's a number of problems with it. They're doing this like they're doing some kind of benevolent favour to everyone. Related to hospitality is it's said that thirty to forty percent of the new homeless are from the hospitality trade mm. because a lot of their jobs yes. were associated with the home or they were in precarious living... Con- you know, young yeah. people working in pubs and so on, maybe yeah, all just sleeping on each other's... Ca- there, yeah. And et cetera, et cetera. Mm. They're going to be homeless. Right. So the government kind of can be benevolent and say, oh, well, we'll... We won't. We'll make sure you're not. And they are kicking debt down the line. Right. And they are making. You know. The yeah, but that person, in the end, is not a long term. That's no. Is it? Not, but also, they created it. So yeah. I said, I've got a be- better strategy for stopping people being evicted, which is end the lockdown. Yeah. Because actually, what let you're doing, let people work. go to work. Yeah. Let and, people earn money, which is what they want to do, which is good for them anyway. Much better than sitting yeah. at home on your backside, wondering if you'll ever get a job again. Yeah. Because I mean, I've got a 16 year old son, for example, who is not in any way, shape, or form. Uh, in in a desperate situation, but he can't even get a job at the weekends because there's literally nothing to do. Yeah, well, that's exactly right because that's the other thing is the opposition benches who drive me mad. You know, the Labour Party and the Lib Dems and the Greens and everyone else, their solution is always, can people have more money to help? Them? Yeah, and you think, you know what? You are missing what all this means. People don't just work for money. Mm. I mean, obviously, you need to earn a living. But also, it's what you do. It's as you go out into the Mm. world. This idea that if you've got a bit of money, you're all right. People are actually having their... It's it's hard to... They're being demobilised. They're basically being told... It's not worth doing anything. No. Stay at home. And guess and I, what? All I the people. I mean, really you made this. You know, you made this point on Question Time about the private sector as well. There, you know, where everybody's going. Oh, let's clap the nurses. Let's clap the public sector. Isn't it great? I used to say to my kids at the weekends. You know, well, why don't you clap me? I've been working all week. You know, what are you doing for me? You know, the bottom line is that that the people in the private sector have been holding it together. People have been working in supermarkets, driving vans, driving lorries, driving taxis. You know, and none of them get anything really. Exactly. Uh, I speak to, to taxi drivers who are literally on their uppers and you know in desperate straits because they made 10 quid instead of 100 quid i know i the the private sector public i mean 
you know, I, what I was objecting to there was when it was basically being argued that public sector workers were particularly heroic mm. and therefore they deserved a pay rise. Yeah. And I was saying, well, we all deserve a pay rise, but none of us are going to get it right. because we're almost bankrupt exactly. at this rate, right? But then why highlight that group? It's just so divisive. The thing about the private sector is whenever you say private sector, people immediately kind of go big banks, corporate sector, yeah, yeah. profits. Right. And it's like, no. No. It's the delivery driver. Yes. It's the taxi guy. Mm. It's the person with the, you know, with the shop that you just closed down. I said, nail bars and hairdressers. And somebody yeah. said, oh, you know, what about... And it's like, what do you mean? Yeah. There are loads and loads of young women who have been entrepreneurial enough mm. to set themselves up in little businesses. Yeah. Absolutely smashed to smithereens their hopes, their aspirations. And you can't replace the fact that people, you know, save up, you know, they have life savings yeah. or they've saved up they've done just to open a little shop or, or to do something that they've always wanted to do. And they've now spent all that. Yeah. They've any, everything's any rainy run day out. money's gone, yeah. Absolutely. And that's like a lot of the pub uh, and hospitality people, isn't it? Yeah. Well, they might I've have got... had a bit of savings, but they've put it all in, redoing up so that their establishments are COVID safe. Yeah. Doesn't make any difference. Mm. They've still closed them down in tier three, made it impossible to meet in tier two. What's the point of that? And guess what? When they keep saying, on the other hand, all oh, infection rates are going up. So you're going, well, well, what's the point of what you're doing then? If you're doing what you're doing and infection rates are still going up, you might as well not be doing it, mind you. Exactly. I, I, it, it becomes so irrational. Yeah, it's counterintuitive. That, that you want to scream. And I, 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 I understand, I, I get frustrated by... Uh, the constant conspiratorial, you know, chat of what's really going on and mm. you know, all these what's the great, everyone, the great reset and all that yeah. drives me mad. Um, because, you know, if only it were a plan, then you kind of like think something good. Oh, was they're that. not that clever. That, I'm no, afraid. Right, I'm afraid. <laughs> but I do understand that partly this is a consequence of looking out and thinking there must be a plan because mm. it just doesn't make any sense. No. Don't tell me that they're just going from pill. But I literally think that they. They, if you sit in the morning and all that you judge the success of your life is on whether COVID cases are going up or down, yeah. then you get set in that mindset. Mm. And that's all that they're thinking about. I, I'm actually from Wales, Buckley, uh, Baroness Buckley. Um, I'm from Buckley, don't North talk, Wales. Don't talk about Wales on this show. Mark Drakeford is trying, no, to, kill, Mark kill Drakeford. Wales, trying to kill Wales, isn't he? No, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, wait, and I, actually, when I did Question Time, I was on with the uh, with uh, the the Labour administration. I was It was from Wales with the Swansea audience. Oh, my God. You know, like, what I was going to say was that all of them. So you can't say it's Boris Johnson and the Tories. No. Because you've got Mark Drakeford and the Labour Party, who's gone completely. Yeah. He's got a six o'clock curfew right. and no alcohol in pubs. Unbelievable. I mean, you can't Nicholas make that Nicholas Sturgeon's the same. I mean, they can't and get a drink got, in Scotland. Ex exactly. So you've basically got an indication of the fact that it's the political establishment. It's not a party political thing. No. There's no alternative thinking going on at all. And actually, the good, the only good thing that you can say is that because we've all seen this, although it's not the majority, a substantial minority of people are, as it were, thinking, I, I, when things go back to normal, I'm not having this anymore because no. I've started to see things. I've started to realise mm. that being told how to live my life, you know, every micromanaged, you know, how many drinks I have, what my mates, who my mates... What I'm allowed well, to exactly, do. all of this. You know, let's embrace freedom. And let's get rid of this technocratic yes. elite that treats us like this. And I do think that there might be some room for 
a burgeoning of debate and discussion. Let's and hope, a new so. hope uh, but we, I hope so. We've only got about a minute left, um, I'm afraid, Claire. But let's talk a little bit just briefly about the free speech issue, because uh, there is a problem, particularly on, on some social media outlets now, uh, where they're basically shutting stuff down and saying you can't talk about that. You can't interview that person. Uh, you can't say that. Absolutely frightening how uh, interventionist social media are at deciding. They're like the the, the truth sayers, mm. you know. Yeah. Uh, and they literally will say that is misinformation. You're not allowed to say it. It doesn't matter whether it is or it isn't. Right. How dare but they? Decided, how yeah, dare I know. they? Who gave them the right? But the Labour Party recently lobbied the government that it should be illegal for those things not to be censored. Mm. So you've got an opposition who wants explicit government censorship of material on COVID. But good news this week, Cambridge University were about to introduce a new thing which said that you had to respect everyone. Mm. If not, you were in trouble. I thought it was going to get through. Massively defeated yesterday. Um, Now you have to tolerate other views, not respect them. If you respect them, it means you're not allowed to argue with them. So at least a bit of free speech good news this week. Cambridge University might not be where we're all going to or where all the listeners have a particular interest. But when a university like that is forced Mm. to declare in favour of free speech, it's good for all of us. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Well, delightful to see you. Thank you so much. It went absolutely so quickly. Uh, We didn't get to everything we wanted to talk about. Uh, Baroness Buckley. Uh, It says Baroness Fox of Buckley. It's Baroness Fox of Buckley. Is it Baroness Fox of Buckley? Baroness Fox of Buckley. I mean, who knows? Claire to the rest of you. Do you get people curtsying to you now? No, but it is weird in the House of Lords when, you know, you kind of go in and, and some, you know, the the, the staff are brilliant, by the yeah, way, yeah. and they go, good morning, Lady Fox. And well, I al- almost look over my shoulder. Great. I mean, it's weird. Brilliant. Fantastic. Well, listen, great to see you. Thank you for coming in. Uh, have a good day for the rest of it uh, out there in the big wide world of democracy, of course. The House of Lords isn't all bad if uh, Baroness Fox of Buckley Oh, it's is completely anti-democratic. Should be abolished. <laughs> it's just that I'm using it as she a platform. She wants to abolish herself. That's the way we like it here at the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. Uh, this is Talk Radio. <laughs> Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Thanks to Claire Fox for that last uh, first half hour of the show. Absolutely brilliant stuff. A lot of people uh, very much appreciative of the common sense that emanates from her, uh, which, of course, is something that she's famous for, something that we're famous for as well, because we are, of course, the home of common sense. And I'm delighted uh, to tell you that right now uh, we are welcoming back into Talk Towers, I think for the first time for quite a long time, Robin Schoenhofer. You might remember Robin used to be uh, the queen of news reading here at uh, Talk Towers. She used to read the news on uh, Talk Sport, on Talk Radio. I think she's done Virgin as well. Robin, welcome back. Nice to see you. Good morning, Mike. It's lovely to see you too. Such a long time. I know. I mean, I can't even want uh, wish to ask you how long ago it was since since we saw you, but it's probably a few years, isn't it? Two or three? I think it's been three years now. Three Goodness years. me. And you left to do something which uh, I thought was very admirable at the time, to go and work in the health sector, uh, to retrain uh, as a completely different job. So tell us about what you're now doing. So um, now I'm a fully paid up and qualified operating department practitioner. Um, Basically, we work in theatres predominantly in the health service. So that's where I mean, working alongside anaesthetists or surgeon, depending what role I'm doing on what day. Okay, so you're kind of preparing people for operations and and helping out um, in general. Um, You mustn't have been rather taken aback when suddenly COVID hit the uh, the health service and here we suddenly are nine months later, ten months later even, uh, wondering where it's all going to go. You know what? I actually only qualified last December. (laughs) So um, I qualified last December and um, I started my job, my first job in January Mm. and 
I can't even begin to explain how, uh, what sort of baptism of fire that's been for me. Because obviously I went from January to March and March was sort of when COVID really kicked off for us, wasn't it? We, we had a heads up um, maybe back in February that there was something really bad going on. Right. Um, but for you guys, it's March, isn't it? That it really, really hit home. Yeah. And I mean, for me, my, 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 I mean, this is how different um, you and I's careers are really, I guess now, because you're in the high, in the eye of the storm, actually seeing it every single day. My sort of, my remembrance of it is walking out of a place called the Telephone Exchange, which is a bar opposite this uh, this building here, I know um, for, sort of for the last <laughs> time, and thinking, well, I guess they'll be open in about a month. I don't know. Um, and suddenly it was like three months later, you know. I know, and, and, and it's been such a bizarre time, hasn't it? I mean, I expected to sort of start my new job and sort of have an almost gentle introduction into the world of working in theatres after training for a couple of years there. And it's just been um, an absolute baptism of fire for me. And obviously, much like everybody else, I've missed the opportunities to go out to the pub, to right. see family, friends. It's been really hard. Um, and I think much like everybody else, we've I certainly have been suffering a bit of um, fatigue from, from the relentless... Um, lockdowns and restrictions that were all being placed under. Yes, I'm, I'm sure you have. And was there a time ever at the beginning when we were all kind of very, I suppose, nervous and, and unknowing about what we were facing? Was there a time when you were worried about your own safety? Absolutely, absolutely. I think um, I've actually um, dealt with COVID patients myself. Mm. So in my role, um, anaesthetically, we assist anaesthetists in putting people to sleep and um, I've actually seen uh, a COVID patient um, close up. So as of many of my colleagues working in the NHS across the country. So um, to see that, to see the very, very, very worst that can happen to somebody, the very, very, very worst, mm. is you naturally would be frightened for your own safety, um, especially as like everybody else, this is something that we've never had to deal, deal with before. We don't at the time, at the very beginning, we didn't know how it worked. We didn't know how it spread. We didn't, we didn't, have, there were so many unknowns mm. at the very beginning. So um, we're much further down the road now, obviously. But at the very beginning, yes, absolutely. Very, very concerned for my own safety, but actually for moreover for, for my parents' safety. Because, you know, if you were bringing it home and then visiting them, all of those things, yeah. um, before we had lockdown, before we had the restrictions, those sorts of concerns were very, very real, as they are for everybody else. Mm, absolutely. And we've got you on today, Robin, because you tweeted out yesterday that you had your first vaccine. Um, tell us about that. How did it all sort of come about? What did it feel like? And, uh, you know, how are you? <laughs> I'm fine. Well, I haven't got three toes on my head. Excellent. You know, I'm not a zombie, um, although I'm a bit tired today. Um, yeah, it's just like getting any other regular vaccine, except perhaps you were asked a few more questions at the beginning. Um, you have a lot of paperwork to fill in at the start for your consent, because consent's really important. Mm. Um, and you have to answer a lot of questions, um, including about whether or not you've got any allergies. Um, yeah. And um, so you spend 15 minutes filling in paperwork. Um, then you go in, you have a brief meeting with a GP who runs through um, any possible contraindications for a reason why you might not be able to have the vaccine. Um, then you go through to another room, someone injects you, and then you spend 15 minutes having a cup of tea and a biscuit, a bit like when you give blood, um, just to make sure that you don't have any sort of immediate adverse reactions that could be that could be dangerous. And okay. then you, you pop home. And today, um, I've got a slight ache in my arm. I had it in my left arm. A slight ache in my arm, but 
actually no I'm no worse off than I was when I started yesterday right. and then that's the first of two isn't it so you get the second one what three weeks hence or four weeks yeah booked in for my second one on the 31st of December so all being well I should be fully vaccinated before the year is out so happy new year that'll be we just found out uh, today or yesterday I think it was last night that there's going to be no extra trains being run on New Year's Eve because they don't want anybody going out and celebrating and having a nice time even though there's no fireworks going on anyway it's going to be quite weird I said to my son the other day it's going to be really good isn't it waiting up till midday midnight uh, for nothing to happen <laughs> I know well I think we just all have to accept don't we that, that New Year's Eve is is pretty is bust this year isn't yeah. it I mean I don't London's fireworks. I don't know. Are we are they spending all the money doing the fireworks, and we can just watch them on the TV? I don't well, no, know. they're just not doing them. Unfortunately, I'm assuming that we'll be seeing the ones in Sydney and Dubai and Hong Kong, and that'll be it because we're not doing them here, and they're not doing them in Edinburgh either. So, you know, such is life. That's the way it goes. Tell us, Robin, is it is it what's the sense now in the NHS in terms of the numbers of people that you're seeing coming in, in terms of the infection rates and all of that? I mean, you're down in Sussex, aren't you? So, um, it's not yeah. terrible at the moment, I don't think, down there, is it? No, we're tier two down here, so we're not sort of um, on the same level in any way, shape or form as as um, up north in Manchester, those sorts of areas, or even in London at the at the very very peak. Um, in terms of how it's it, how we're dealing with it, it, it's almost become the new normal. Really, at the very very beginning, it was really tough going into work every day because the advice, the policies, the practices they would change. Mm. Um, not on a daily basis but twice two three times a day sometimes and you'd start the day um doing one thing one way and then it would be changed by the end of the day mm. and that almost as exhausting as you know pulling the extra hours in to, to cover shifts and things now we've we've got it down we know we have really good pathways for patients coming into the hospitals and we also have really good um ideas of, of what ppe to wear and when Mm. So, um, obviously, there's been a mixed reaction. You know, we healthcare professionals are still human beings. We still question um, vaccines. And um, you absolutely should do your research and, and make your own choice about whether or not the vaccine is something that you want to go forward and do. But just make sure that you you do the research into it and don't just rely on Facebook or Twitter for your information. Yes. Um, but, yeah, as in terms of, of healthcare, we are working really, really hard um, as you expect, and um, it's tough, it's busy, um, but it's the new normal. Yeah, so you don't miss coming in and talking for a living? Do you know what? I do a little bit. I do. <laughs> I, I'd be lying to you if I said I didn't miss it. And actually, all the way through my training, um, I was still doing news on a freelance basis because, you know, go to university, you've still got to pay the bills. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I was really, um, really excited to be qualified and hoping to keep my hand in. But also, um, obviously, COVID has kind of put paid to those plans this year. But I am really, really hopeful that I'll be able to just sort of like do the odd news reading shift on a freelance basis um, in 2021 when we're allowed to sort of move around the country yes. a little bit better. Well, without wishing, to, without wishing to upset some of your former colleagues and, and my uh, news reading team here, I'd be delighted to have you as the exclusive independent Republican Mike Graham newsreader <laughs> just for this show. Maybe we could make it happen a week. But I know Ross Powell and Ross Powell is fabulous. He is. So I didn't want to do him out of a job. No, of course not. Absolutely not. And you've got your Christmas tree up. So um, what are you managing to do for Christmas this year? I am working. I am t- I've hit all the shifts. I'm working Christmas Day, Boxing Day, the wow. bank holiday, 
and New Year's Day. But what else am I going to do? Yeah, exactly you right. Know? Well, listen, brilliant to see you and so glad that you're happy doing what you're doing. And it's a wonderful thing you are doing, by the way. So without wishing to, um, you know, sort of overburden you with praise, it's fantastic. Uh, I think that you've left what is very, very easy uh, to do, but not that easy, uh, but to do something actually really worthwhile. So thank you for everything. Thanks, Mike. And I do miss you guys. I genuinely do. Well, listen, it's great to talk to you. Great to see you. Uh, Robin Schoenhofer, uh, former uh, newsreader here at uh, Talk Towers, Talk Radio, Talk Sport, Virgin. I mean, she did it all. And now, uh, what an amazing thing to do, to leave um, a relatively cushy number. And I'm not saying that the guys that do that now uh, uh, are doing something which is easy to do, because it's not easy to do. But it's relatively cushy compared to looking after patients COVID patients in particular, uh, in a hospital ward. So um, thanks to Robin Schoenhofer uh, and all the people that do what she does. She had the vaccine yesterday. As she said, uh, it's entirely your choice if you want to get the vaccine, but don't just believe what you read uh, on Twitter or on Facebook. And if you want to have uh, some research done, do it properly uh, and make that uh, determination for yourself. Morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. I was talking earlier about uh, my son who's trying to get himself a Saturday job, or who has been trying to get himself a Saturday job, failing miserably uh, in the part of the world in which he lives just because there isn't anything going. And I've got a couple of tweets here uh, that I want to read out to you. One from Anna who says, My 16 year old grandson had a job uh, he loved in a local restaurant just weekends and Friday night. What a good ethic to give a teenager. Get a job, buy their own stuff, have the pride in work. Destroyed by a government that is power mad, both sides of the house mad. Uh, and Simon says, My 18 year old was doing 40 hours a week washing dishes and serving in our local fish and chip restaurant that is until he was laid off in june and these are the things that people who don't see the arguments about hospitality don't get because it's not just about people wanting to go out and have a nice time wanting to go out for dinner or lunch or going out to the pub and having a pint and a scotch egg it's not about that it's about the work it's about the people uh, and the people who work in the industry this morning uh, on the front page of the sun gloom at the inn just one in five pubs are going to open at christmas uh, nearly ten thousand will shut for good as many as two hundred ninety thousand jobs could be lost it's absolutely extraordinary and it's terrible. Let's talk to Emma McClarkin, Chief Executive of the British Beer and Pub Association. Emma, very good uh, morning to you. Welcome. Good morning. I mean, I'm sorry to sound like the bringer of doom and gloom, but I mean, I'm really passionate about this because um, people are losing their livelihoods, of course, but there's also an awful lot of people who are going to be left behind who do work in pubs and work in restaurants because it's the kind of job that suits them. It's sort of uh, extra work for some people because they need a little bit of extra money. For teenagers, it's a way into the kind of job market. You know, I'm really, really um, concerned about this. Yeah, no, it, and it's not you that's the uh, the bearer of the bad news. Unfortunately, those type restrictions from the government have massively impacted on our trading ability mm. within Tier 2 and Tier 3, or in fact, any tier is actually deeply impacted to the extent of 84% down. So this is extraordinary. Our businesses won't be able to survive. And we haven't taken on the tens of thousands of casual workers that we do at Christmas time, the first job that people have um, when they're a teenager. Mm. None of that is going to be 
is, is there this year and those businesses are in grave danger of not being there next year. There really are. And I mean, obviously in Wales and Scotland in particular, it's even worse, isn't it? Because I was reading a story, I think, last weekend, just before the, the latest sort of shutdown in Wales, where now pubs are not allowed to sell alcohol at all. Um, that something like 40,000 pints of beer were going to be washed down the drain. Yeah, and I completely agree with you. This is this is turning into an alky, uh, an anti-alcohol lobby. Mm. Um, um, and what, rather th- what, what is that about, it? by the way? Do you think there is something else going on here? In terms, I'm not suggesting that there's some kind of mad conspiracy against drinking, but it seems as though they want to punish people who are trying to sell booze. But the the reality is is that there's no safer place to drink uh, in moderation mm. than than in a pub environment, in a COVID-secure pub environment. We've invested £500 million to make it COVID-secure, uh, and we know that people drink in moderation and sensibly and socially within that environment. And, of course, if you're forcing people not to have that uh, open to them, they will be drinking mm. in a private, um, unregulated and unsecure uh, environment yeah. where they may be drinking to excess so they're, they're really exacerbating any any fears that they had about um, alcohol but it is very worrying that we're seeing this anti-alcohol lobby coming in and we only heard yesterday from Sir Patrick Balance that the, there was no evidence mm. base for that limitation on our curfew um, that they did that on a policy basis based in and around with an alcohol in the environment yeah. it is safer to close absolutely not there is no evidence to back that up and we have lost trade because of it. And uh, people have lost um, that sort of confidence to come out to the pub. Well, I think that's true. And I mean, if you think about it, I guess the people who are really suffering here, um, Emma, are those with, um, you know, just maybe one pub. I mean, the bigger sort of, you know, brewery organisations have obviously got money to burn, uh, not literally, but I mean, you know, they're able to survive uh, a lot longer without actually making any money. But if you've got just a small kind of, you know, you know, one, uh, you know, solo owned pub in the middle of uh, somewhere like uh, Durham, you know, and you can't open. It's an absolute nightmare. It is. I mean, the cash burn effect is huge and it is it is creeping up on people and it will take businesses under if they're not able to open and bring in trade and bring in money to save their livelihoods. Um, people are not asking for anything unreasonable. Um, they've invested an awful lot of money. They've followed sage advice. They've put in all these mitigation measures in order to alleviate any of those fears. And yet we still find ourselves singled out as a sector um, unable to open at all in tier three, wet lead pubs unable to open. Um, this substantial meal is really, really hammering our businesses. People simply can't afford to be going out for meals just because they wanted to go out for a, a couple of pints. Right. And this is going to really, really take us under this winter. Right. And have you been able to establish any kind of rapport with anybody in government to try and get a conversation going about what their plan is? Because, I mean, I'm not sure there is much of a plan, to be fair. But, I mean, um, are you able to, to, to at least talk to somebody in the cabinet uh, or in a ministry uh, as to what your concerns are? We do talk to the government uh, frequently, and we have done. And I have to say it's getting harder and harder to understand if they're actually listening or mm. understanding how uh, pub businesses are run um, at this stage. But an awful lot is uh, waiting to see what happens in and around that tier review, which is happening on the 16th. Yes. Will people be coming out of restrictive tiers into less restrictive tiers? Will it allow us the opportunity to get more pubs open? We only saw t- um, 20, uh, 25% of pubs open uh, and so we really need to understand how many can get the chance yeah. to fight their way through this uh, most bleakest of winters. Because, I mean, I'm looking at a, a video right now on Twitter, which has been put up by the West Midlands Police. 
and it's a it's a it's a video of police officers uh, literally uh, sawing through a, uh, a corrugated iron sort of blind to get inside a building where they think there's an illegal drinks party going on uh, at Walsall at a Walsall football club. Meanwhile, we hear that uh, Manchester police haven't been uh, attending 80 percent of reported crimes because they haven't had the time. I mean, it seems like the world's gone mad. I mean, imagine, you know, using a sort of a, an angle grinder uh, to get into a, a building to arrest people for drinking. Um, I would simply say allow people to drink safely within our pub environment yeah. and then there won't be these illegal parties and particularly with the Christmas period coming up and New Year, if they don't find a facility to allow us to open and provide that safe, secure environment for people to celebrate safely, then they will go out and find their new ways of doing it and that will consume time. But we're also having visits, I have to say, coming into our pubs and actually sort of going around checking on the sizes of substantial meals and how long you've been in a venue. I, I think this is going way too far. Mm. We have very clear guidance, very clear restrictions. It is hammering our businesses. And we really need to find a way that we can save the sector if we want to have the Great British pub there this time next year. Exactly right. And is there any hope um, that over the Christmas period, if nothing else, um, everyone will be able to open? Because, of course, we've been told that from, I know it's only a short period, but from like the 22nd or 23rd to the 27th. I mean, is that worth anything to people? Uh, we are excluded from allowing festive bubbles to come into our venues. So at this moment in time, we are receiving lots of calls from people, which is very encouraging, saying, can we come and celebrate Christmas with you? And we are not allowed to entertain festive bubbles. Uh, and the government could change that, could make us part of that, mm. allowing families to celebrate safely in a much larger COVID-secure space than they have uh, around their home yeah. Um, and, and we've encouraged the government to do that. They still have a chance to do that before the parliament rises, to make that announcement, to give us a chance to get some trade in uh, and to allow us to find a way to fight through this um, pandemic. Goodness me. Well, they certainly need to do that. We'll see what we can do to help out on that one. Emma, thank you very much indeed. Emma McClarkin there from the uh, Beer and Pub Association of Great Britain, Chief Executive. Isn't that ludicrous? So if you do have your Christmas bubble and you've got, you know, the mother-in-law round and you've got your brother, maybe your sister, their kids and all of that, you can have your Christmas dinner in a very crowded living room, kitchen scenario. But if you wanted to go to the pub, you wouldn't be allowed to. That is absolute madness, isn't it? Completely and utterly bonkers. 0344 499 1000. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, if you've got um, a pub and if you are working and or um, uh, used to work in a pub, uh, we'd love to hear from you as well. And restaurants, of course, because it is crippling the business. And this is not just about, as I keep saying, going out and enjoying yourself. This is about millions of people uh, who regard the hospitality business, the restaurant business, the cafe business, the pub business, as the place where they make their money, the place where they earn their livelihood. And if they can't do that, they're not just going to be able to walk out and get another job, are they? Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk radio. Now, you'd have to say it's not very often that The Guardian and The Daily Star uh, are similarly uh, imbued with the same type of story. Uh, The Guardian doesn't put it on page one, but they've got an interview with Adam Bolton in which he says basically that Sky's credibility is at stake. um, And he's very, very upset about what his colleagues did by the way of going out for a party for Kay Burley's 60th birthday, even though her birthday apparently is not until December the 17th. Uh, She was due uh, to go to Africa. She put a tweet out yesterday to that effect and then withdrew it. She has, to all intents and purposes, been suspended. Let's talk to Mark Bukowski and just find out how bad this could get for Sky. Mark, a very good afternoon to you. 
Hi, Mike. Yeah, well, not good, is it? It really not isn't. Good. I mean, I happen to know a little bit about NBC um, only because I know a couple of people that work there and they have been incredibly hard line about COVID and about yeah. the way that they expect people to behave when they work for the company. Yeah. And I knew immediately when this happened um, that there would be trouble for Kate Burley. Well, all, all of them, and actually, what's unfortunate for Sky is that it's their it's their it's their star chamber. I I, I just don't understand, but you know where you're you're pulling you know um, politicians over the coals, you know, particularly over the Dominic Cummings, you know, sort of Barnard Castle debacle, mm. and then you can have a complete. Um, you know, a bout of amnesia and go out to the Century Club and have a great time with a bunch of mates. You know, everybody's got a phone, Mike, now, and on those phones are cameras and everybody can capture that sort of moment, which I think um, was what was the case. But Beth Rigby is a fantastic um, a political voice. I mean, she really has been one of the stars of this. And I think... Well, she's kind of made herself into one of the stars of it because at the time when we were all watching the Daily Briefing, you know, I used to actually call them the Three Stooges. It was, you know, Beth Rigby, um, Laura Kunzberg and Robert Peston. All three of them became sort of like the Three Musketeers and they were always the first three people that got questions. They were always the people that... uh, The people who are not in the media hated the most. And they became, you know figures uh, uh very prominent figures uh, of of all sorts of reasons it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist or a brain surgeon to realize that if they're grilling if they were to be grilling uh, an mp who had sort of transgressed you know they're just the mp is going to throw back or a cabinet minister is going to throw back so what did you do exactly during 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 the war? yeah um so it's completely undermined their credibility and again going back to what I originally said i just find it incredulous um because they're astute people this is their career and you know, arguably the Sky audience will say, well, it's all right for the media, uh, media-centric folk who, 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 who go to private members' clubs and have a great night and um, completely ignore the rules. Mm. So you're one of them. You're not one of us. Right. And Sky and their reporting has been very much one of us. You know, we've wanted to see those scorching sort of zingers coming in from, from, from Beth Rigby. And you can't do that. She, she can't be on the sort of political treadmill any, any longer, in my, my, my opinion. Well, I- I agree. Um, I, th- I think she's she's toast as far as that job is concerned, because now, particularly knowing what we know uh, in terms of some of the questioning that she used to do, almost all of it was about locking down more. She was almost always being more enthusiastic about lockdowns than any government minister or any uh, scientist that she was talking to. Um, and here she is blatantly ignoring it. And you'd have to conclude, would you not as well, Mark, that this probably isn't the first time they've done it. Well, I, I, you know, I, I don't. I, who knows? I, I can't. I can't go that far. I think that would be slightly unfair. I, I think if this is a moment of madness, are you in the ground? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I wish, um, but um, the, the 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 indication here is that you, you, they've got to they've got to start doing something of serious mayor culpa here, um, and you know, trying to find some way of openly discussing what the hell happened. Mm. Um, but it still doesn't take away the fact that they are neutered. Is they're castrated in? You know, I'm not using that in the sense, but they're neutered in, yeah. in, in a way that to, to make them effective. You know, um, people who can hold truth to power. Um, so it's, it's these bubbles, Mike. You know, we're all in a bubble. Let's face it. We're all we all we all stick to the media. We all hear it from our mates. It's very difficult to break a bubble down. And you know, someone should have questioned it. And I was due to have a lunch with somebody who is in the public eye um, tomorrow night. And, and, you know, we had an open conversation to say, well, we can't do it. 
and it's been in the diary for ages. We yeah. can't do it as much as we want to see one another. You know, this person would be photographed in the place we would have gone and, and, and that person would have been under serious scrutiny and it would have mm. been a story. So you don't want to be in the center of headlines. And they, they are people who, who don't want this sort of coverage. And I am devastated, you know, because I think they are phenomenal broadcasters. They're phenomenal journalists. And to see this, it's a win for the government. Well, <laughs> really, at yeah. a time where we need the government to be constantly placed under pressure. I listened to Dominic Rabb this morning, sort of using his usual filibustering not to answer a question. Uh, and then somewhere halfway towards the end of the interview, there came, you know, the fact that he was actually not being truthful with the facts. But they can't do that now, you know, because, you know, if I was, if I was on the other side of, you know, advising politicians, said, well, easy meat here. You just throw, throw mud back at them. Um, and it, you know, debilitates their ability. Oh, when Adam Bolton comes out and says uh, that basically what has happened has raised uh, issues about the credibility of Sky News' journalism, now you have to think of one of two things. He's not doing that, presumably without any mentioning of it to Sky News. Uh, he's, he's been quoted in The Guardian. The Media Guardian got a big piece on it this morning as well. Um, you'd have to assume that Sky have given him permission to say that. Um, otherwise, why would he say that? And if that's the case, presumably, that makes it look even worse for Kay Burley and Beth Rigby, doesn't it? Oh, gosh. I mean, for someone as serious as a significant figure of Adam Bolton to uh, to proffer his words in this debate is, is you know, this is why we're talking about it mm. now. This is why the newspapers have grabbed hold of it. And you're right to say that it's united the likes of the Star and the Guardian together yeah. as one. So I think that, you know, and he, he's obviously worried about his own sort of credibility and he wants to get across exactly his own values. So there's a lot of people who will be jumping up and down. And I think there will be various agents out there thinking, oh, there's a couple of good jobs going here. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it, it's time to push uh, push uh, push my client forward. Yeah, from it, you know? because I think the so, other the other thing that was interesting, I thought, was yesterday. Uh, Kay Burley put out a tweet which was in her own inimitable style. Um, because I've said quite openly before, I quite like Kay Burley, even though a lot of people don't uh, in the public uh, in the public domain out there. A lot of my listeners absolutely detest Sky News, uh, and I don't discourage them from doing that. However, um, I mean, Kay is what what you see is kind of what you get. You know, you've probably met her socially. You know, she's she's rambunctious. She's out there. You know, she'll tell you what she thinks, no matter who you are. And and I quite like that about her. However, um, it would now appear uh, that she. Um, has got has kind of got this all wrong, as it were, because her apology was was ridiculous, right, and embarrassing. She then put out a tweet suggesting that she was always going to be going on holiday uh, to Africa, where the lions, you know, um, hunt for for food rather than just for fun. Uh, and she was obviously told then to take that down because she obviously didn't quite get how serious this is. No, I mean, you know, you you, you tweet in error. You tweet. You you think very carefully. Because um, that is your broadcast, you know, your secondary broadcast channel, yeah. and of course you're 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 feeding feeding it. So there was no sense for me of any humility. You're right, you know, she she says it as it, as it is and how she feels it, and she's given some, you know, some significant people a right of going over in the past. So of course, when you are, you know, when you're when you're that sort of interview and you're that sort of um, type of um, type of personality, of mm. course you make lots of enemies, and there's a lots of enemies now dancing on a grape. Do not give them the ammunition to throw back in your face, mm. uh, and it and it was cryptic. But of course, everybody knew what it all meant. Yeah. And again, that comes back again to this bubble. You know, this comes back again to the bubble they're in. It wasn't just the fact that it was Kay Burley or Bedford, but there was a number of significant people there who should have been questioning the decision to go out. Someone mm. should have helped Kay Burley and just say, "Look, you know, Kay, well, look, Kathy, you know, is this wise? Right. You know, let's let's take a good look at this." So there's a collective 
um, thought that as 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 uh, you know that, that this was sort of fine and we'd get away with it. Um, but also, so, why go somewhere like the Century Club, which is where <laughs> there's going to be like likely to be a lot of people that that you know and a lot of people uh, who will recognise you. Whereas if you'd gone to somewhere like a private club, perhaps it would have been a different ball game, wouldn't it? No, it's the same. It's the same. You know, you are. You've got to come out of those clubs onto the public public thoroughfare, and um, any any of these clubs will be will. You know, they probably disagree with me, but certain clubs will be tipping off their paparazzi mates mm. to say we've got X, Y, and Z in the club tonight. You know, and of course somebody whizzes along on the back of a scooter and they're hanging around in the cold for hours and hours and hours waiting for that frame. Mm. So I, I think that. It's the same thing. If you, if I've always said to clients, you're having a maritable sort of issue. Don't go to one of the world's most famous restaurants, and uh, you know, which has collectively right. got a lot of famous people inside. And expect to get away with it and hug uh, and, and start hugging people as well, which is extraordinary. I mean, pictures in the start. Well, I saw yeah. uh, of, of Beth Rigby uh, 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 and Kay Burley hugging. You just think, what on earth are you thinking? You know. Sherbets. Well, we've had one or two sherbets. Well, know, listen. Um, then we don't, we don't, we don't think sensibly. I mean, let's fake it. We're mucks mates. Well, and, that's the other problem, know, right? Because that feeds then into the government's view that uh, keeping pubs shut is a good idea, which I certainly don't want them to do. No, we don't. And I think you know, even if they're sort of um, these type of membership clubs, I know one or two are really hurting at this time, mm. really, really hurting, and they're trying to do the best for for their staff and the membership and whatever. And it's it's a, it's it's a terrible day all around, and it's a massive, massive own goal, mm. um, and which is it falls right back. I mean, if I was a government spinmeister or a spad at the moment, I would be leaping up and down with joy. I'd it'd be celebration time because it's it's it's, it's it's about seeing your star strikers yeah. being, you know, being being injured or sent off is more the case. But what sent would you do in the first would, half? But what would you do if you were John Riley, who's obviously the head of news at uh, at Sky? I really do feel I really do feel for John. He's a really good bloke. He's a fantastic, fantastic operator, and I and I, I, I just. I, I don't know what he's thinking. I mean, they, they've, they've, there's going to be a sort of massive inquiry. I think you've got to take a good, long, hard view. Well, I imagine this. it'll you, be, ta- I imagine it'll be taken out of his hands anyway by by the corporate bonds at NBC in New yeah, York because that's what they yeah. like to do. But I mean, funnily enough, I wanted to ask you as well just about the whole issue of credibility and, and news at the moment because uh, it was only relatively recently I think that Kay Burley was was boasting that people uh, had lost faith with the BBC, uh, but they trusted Sky News more. Um, and I was watching a, a BBC six o'clock news last night for the first time in ages. I've pretty much given up watching it. And they had this ludicrous um, piece about climate change where they interviewed this bloke from the Committee for Climate Change, which I didn't know existed up until now, which turns out to be a government committee which gives government the advice that they want to get about climate change and what the target should be. And it was completely without any sort of challenge whatsoever. All these, you know, happened. well, of course, this is what we have to do. We have to get to carbon zero. This is how it's going to be difficult. You know, and I was thinking... You know, there are people watching this thinking this is absolutely and utterly for real without any challenge whatsoever. So I wonder whether television news in particular has already lost its credibility. I don't think so. I think that there, you know, I think that there are horses for courses. I think that, um, and you know what, I always, I was listening to um, a radio program about six months ago, and they had um, a guy from the Flat Earth Society on. Oh yes. And he was debating with someone who, who obviously from some scientist, and I thought, the Earth's not flat. No. What the hell are you given? 
of space to someone who's got a lunatic theory just to fill out. <laughs> well, I mean, it, I mean, it is quite know, funny when you get those guys on, I must say. Was he sure I know, it wasn't but, entertaining? But it, but what a waste of time, though. Well, yeah, it is, but it isn't because you know, Mike, that some people actually out there will actually listen to that piece and actually think, do you know what? Maybe the earth is flat. Would You know, there's a big committee coming up next week yeah, about but wouldn't you rather um, fake have news been, yeah, but hang on, and you, social media but wouldn't, but um, wouldn't, and, and but spreading these lies. And but but, but they, Mark, yeah, surely, think... surely the point about that is that you put people on uh, air, on television and on radio, uh, if they have mad theories, in order uh, to expose the mad theory, rather than to pretend that uh, you don't let them on because it's better if nobody hears it. Because in this day and age, you're not going to stop people from hearing the flat earthers just because you don't put them on the telly. Well, how, how long have we been hearing about flat earthers? Surely there's some other crackpot theory that is more relevant that we should be airing <laughs> out and sort of shooting down. But the point is that, you know, this legislation that the likes of, you know, Twitter and Facebook and, and Google might face for not, you know, not being regulated and allowing this yeah. spread of fake news. I mean, you know, there's surveys coming up to say that 80% of the news that is, is, is fake is consumed and actually has a negative effect, has an effect that actually people believe it and do it because they've lost trust generally across the media. Yeah. So if you lose trust, you've now got more and more crackpot theories building up, um, you know, about yeah, but the some trust. of the maddest things going. Yeah, but I think trust the, is gone. But the so trust for the trust so, is... Uh, has gone, Mark. The trust has gone because the, the, the TV companies have allowed the trust to go because of their conduct. I think I, I, I think it I, I personally might you know, agree to disagree on this one, but I think it's more to the level of which the confidence has been lost in the media and they look at the you know cheap fake news and clickbait um, to draw eyeballs to advertising that is being fed to people because their data is being nabbed by um, the data scrapers. And the whole thing has turned the world upside down in the sense that we have we you know, once upon a time in our day, Mike, there was sort of like like there was a set number of of channels, there was a set number of newspapers, yeah. there wasn't the craziness of social media, and we could actually believe and trust these people mm. based on that. As soon as this comes and you know distorts this and, and, and disrupts all this, we've got a world now but where does anybody find the truth? And we've got individuals who are who are who are breaking the rules, you know, um, for, for birthday parties are part of the problem. Yep. No one's standing back and saying to actually be really good you have to be on on message you have to stick to your stick to your values and actually be and be well researched and and helping people with their critical opinion because we don't we don't teach critical opinion now so anybody can come up with, with an idea and it's spread like wildfire because it's not people don't believe in the facts anymore mm. right they actually look at someone and say do i actually believe that person or does it sound real we used to you know there was a line that the news of the world used to run which was you know when you used to challenge them on a story and say actually this is all completely wrong and i you know i remember um the said a well-known journalist saying to me it was true at the time mark you yes. know and, well, I, and i think that you know that that, that that that's a problem is that we are allowing people to get away with it because everybody's desperate for eyeballs and more interesting in eyeballs and clickbait than they are in integrity and that's where we've got somehow going to draw the line and regulate those who are actually continually spreading this 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 this, this stuff that actually will cost lives mark thanks very much we've got to run unfortunately because i could talk to you about this all day but of course everybody knows where you find the truth it's right here it's at talk radio the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio right now though uh, we're going to take a little trip uh, up into outer space uh, with our favorite outer space expert greg smy rumsby from astronomynow.com greg a very good uh, afternoon to you welcome 
Yeah, good afternoon to you, mate. That's a rather magnificent-looking beard you've got on since I think the last time we it, spoke. It's a festive beard. It's going to Boxing Day. It won't be there anymore. Really? Well, that's going to be painful, <laughs> isn't it? I must admit, I've never, I've never actually grown a beard because partly I'm too frightened of what it would be like to try and get rid of it. And they, they sometimes go ginger. Do you they? Know, you look at them, oh my God, it's ginger. Right, goodness <laughs> me. Well, anyway, listen, let's talk about the latest sort of uh, development over in uh, the world of private space exploration. Elon Musk and SpaceX, a remarkable operation, incredible kind of, you know, um, things that they've managed to do already. But the latest attempt to get up into space didn't go so well. No, it did. It absolutely did. This is a test program. This you're obviously talking about his wonderful starship, yes. which is the rocket as well as the heavy lift vehicle underneath. Right. The whole thing stands 118 meters tall, which is slightly taller than the Saturn V that took the men to the moon. Right. And it can lift more payloads, so it can it can be very very useful. This was a test program, so it went up in the air, and it, people thought it might blow up on the launch pad or or blow up in going up into the air, blow up when it got to the top of its climb of about 12 and a half um, uh, kilometers. And then it would blow up on the way down and then it would crash into the ground. The only bit that went wrong is it hit the ground a little hard, right. but that's it. Uh, but it looked very spectacular, didn't it? Because it looked as though it was oh. crashing and burning into flames. Oh, absolutely. It's because it, it did have some fuel on board. Um, but yes, effectively, there was a, a slightly under-pressurized tank at the top of the vehicle that didn't supply enough fuel to the engines underneath to slow it down sufficiently. Mm. But these, this is a learning curve, and it's all iterations. One iteration, then another iteration. And there's, there's already uh, a starship waiting on the sidelines to do the job all over again, perhaps more successfully. Well, this is a very good explanation and, and indication of the ignorance of people like me who know nothing about space exploration. And whenever I see something blowing up, I just assume it went wrong. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Elon Musk thought it might actually blow up at any time right. uh, during the lift. It's such a big vehicle. It's it's bigger and bulkier than an A380 aircraft. Mm. Yeah, which it's is which, which is very big, isn't it? And he's also, he's managed, he's, he's an incredible man, Elon Musk. I'd love to meet him. He has this incredible sort of imagination. Obviously, he hires an awful lot of very good scientists because so far we've seen him produce a rocket that comes back down and lands on a ship on its own. Uh, he's also produced these kind of nets, hasn't he, that catch bits falling from the sky. I mean, Absolutely. What, what else is he going to show us that we haven't seen? Well, he's going to, eventually, we're, we're going to see the end of the Falcon 9 rocket, the one to which you already alluded, suggesting it lands on the ground and yeah. also on the ship in the yeah. ocean. Uh, this starship is going to uh, basically cut the costs of space travel for anything, mm. not just humans, but for cargo and for capturing all the debris that's in orbit around the Earth and for going to send space uh, investigative spacecraft to asteroids mm. and the moon and Mars and humans to Mars. This is an amazing adaptable vehicle. Well, this one, we, we, we're talking about Starship. I mean, I think that's, is that not destined eventually uh, when, it's, when it's ready to, to go to head for Mars? Yeah, absolutely. Elon Musk, his goal is to get to Mars, but there are other versions of Starship. One, one for example, will take you around the Earth. So if you want to go from Los Angeles to Sydney, uh, the journey will take you minutes, really? not, not hours. Seriously, you can go from, say, London to uh, Los Angeles, and it'll probably take you around about 35 to 40 minutes. That's incredible. So does that mean... Oh, that is incredible. How fast would you would you actually be going faster than the speed of sound then? Presumably you would. Oh, yeah, a lot faster than the speed, a lot faster than the speed of sound. You're, you're going to be travelling almost into orbit. You you will go into space. Right. 
So you go so up and come back down again. In their seats will be astronauts. Mm. Goodness me. And I wonder, I wonder what the, the, the effect of that on your body would be, though, because we're not really designed to go that quick, are we? No, but it, 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 you wouldn't notice it. Everybody was in Concord, weren't they? And they were sitting there. And it, it, It's just more of the same. It's a little faster, admittedly. It's, it's not going to affect you. You're not in space anywhere near long enough to, yeah. to, to warrant any kind of, of change i think i i think i'd be asking for no windows in that scenario because i've been <laughs> i've been on planes right which have gone very quickly and i remember once being on a particular flight from it was coming back from dublin to presswick in scotland and because it was running late it was a ryanair flight they started going faster and i wasn't sure if it was my imagination right and i was looking out the window and i was thinking this plane seems to be like really really like racing and i actually asked the stewardess and i said is this plane going quicker than normal and she said well it is because um the pilots made the decision to basically use more fuel rather than pay the fine for landing uh, at a later time <laughs> and we were doing something like 150 miles an hour faster than normal and it was quite frightening i mean it was real i was going god uh, you know i wasn't quite sure <laughs> the thing about the starship though is you've got a hundred people sitting at the top of it yeah one hundred people not two or three as you normally associate with space flight right. 100 people you can stick the whole of the you know the uh, space station without its solar panels you can pretty much fit the whole of that space station in inside the mm. cargo bay of starship i am exaggerating a little but it, it, it you can clearly see that this is a very large rocket mm. excellent well before we let you go greg tell us uh, if there's anything we should be looking out for it's a bit gloomy at the moment but um if the yes, skies are clear in uh, in in the, at the weekend what can we see oh the moon get up early i mean it isn't that early because the sun doesn't rise till fairly late look over in the east at the southeast and you'll see venus close to the horizon and you'll see the moon closing in on venus oh. quite quickly each day so that the, the sort of ninth that's sort of today 10th 11th and even the 12th a very 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 thin moon it'll be glorious to take mm. cameras make sure you've got a camera to take a photograph of it okay and we shall try and do that well delightful to see you as ever greg thank you very much indeed greg smy rumsby our favorite space expert uh explaining to me exactly what happened uh apparently when something crashes into the ground and bursts into flames it's not necessarily a bad thing that's taught me, certainly. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB, online, or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.